0: Welcome to this podcast from We Thrive, the web-based tool to improve motivation, engagement and staff retention by finding out what's getting in the way of work satisfaction so your managers can do something about it. This podcast is about the inner workings of the human being, not the muscles and so on, but the underlying mechanisms that make people do what they do. These are crucial to motivation and engagement at work, but are rarely discussed. Across the globe, there are millions of businesses doing many different things, making stuff, designing things, charging huge fees for talking about this and that. They're all different, but one thing unites them all. At some level, whether they have a handful of employees or tens of thousands, human beings work there in teams or groups, collaborating or not, to deliver the products and services for the end clients. Every single thing that is designed, made, done, said or handled, well or badly, is done by people. Every piece of communication, in most businesses, every sale, depends on a working connection between two human beings. But there's no manual for the human being. No one gives us a set of rules to make these interactions work well, which is a pity because we can be a tricky bunch to handle. Work is all about people getting into groups and cooperating to make things better. Human beings do that naturally in their spare time, forming clubs, looking after children and doing countless other voluntary activities week in, week out, without ever moaning about it or throwing a sickie. The great puzzle of engagement is why do they do that so willingly in their spare time, unpaid, when it's so hard to get the same dedication at work when they're getting a salary for it? But actually there's a set of common conditions that are always there when people are working well, in work or at home. And if you just understand those conditions, the puzzle of engagement quickly becomes clear. Understanding this stuff is not some fluffy nice-to-have. It is an essential move for business, as Dan Pink points out in his book Drive, the surprising truth about what motivates us. In the HR world, the business of working with people gets categorised as talent management, employee engagement or satisfaction, management or leadership skills, as if these were different things – But actually they're all subsets of the same thing, using knowledge of human nature in order to create conditions where people can do what they do naturally in the wild or at the weekends with the kids. So, welcome to The Missing Manual, a simple step-by-step guide to understanding people in the workplace. And when you've listened to this, we hope you'll download the Leadership Toolkit podcasts, practical guides to working with those people to help them develop new behaviour that'll work better. You can use these tools in the context of any management system you choose, but we suggest you look at wethrive.net. We Thrive does the hard work of diagnosing and prioritising the problems caused when human nature and workplace routines and culture collide, so it gives you everything you need to support your teams to deliver great results. You can take the free trial at wethrive.net and see how it works for you. So, why doesn't the modern human just sit down and get on with his or her work? We like to think that we're a pretty well-evolved species, and for much of the time we are. We can add up, negotiate, turn up at work most days, even when there's an important game on television. We generally don't beat our husbands, wives, dogs or managers. We like making things work, sorting out problems and improving the way we live. We cooperate fairly well and like to be part of a team if the conditions are right. We're a thoroughly modern species in every way, with a huge, sophisticated and very capable brain – Ideal for any organisation, except for one thing. Inside our modern brain, hidden away for much of the time, lurks something much older. Even though it's six million years since we split off from the chimpanzees, we still carry the brain of a much more primitive primate inside our modern shiny one. When things get tough, the old systems take over. So when we say someone's gone ape, that's a pretty fair description of what's happening. We've learnt to live with this ancient system, and we can control it to some degree, but it has its own needs, and it will kick off if they aren't met. Everyone has a point where they get upset, no matter how civilised they try to be. Worse still, inside the ape brain lurks something even older. At the centre of our heads you find the amygdala, which is the same piece of tissue you find in the skull of a lizard or a snake. It's tiny compared with the modern brain, and it doesn't have much to say about spreadsheets, but it is very powerful, and it's closely connected to the places where action gets initiated. One of its core tasks is to make sure you pass on your DNA to the next generation, and it acts rather crudely, so, as you may have noticed if you've recently been in a town centre on a Saturday night, you cannot expect any kind of logic from someone who feels threatened, or who has spotted an opportunity to mate. We've clawed our way up the evolutionary tree over many millions of years, but it's very easy to slide back down it. Nature likes to build new structures on top of the old ones, so over the years we've acquired this massive new brain to handle the intellectual functions of modern life. But the rest of our evolutionary history is still there, and you really could say that every one of us contains a philosopher, a chimpanzee, and a reptile, and that how we are, how we behave, depends on which of them is in charge at that moment. This is a slight simplification, but if you watch human behaviour closely, you see it in action every day. People can be philosophical when they're calm. They can only be philosophical when they're calm. But by the time they're angry, they're exhibiting the intelligence of a gecko. So, as a manager, you don't just have to manage the intelligent, logical human being. You also have to accommodate the needs of the monkey and the lizard. As the stresses on people go up, progressively older brain areas take over, and intelligence, the modern brain, goes out of the window. People just become stupid, to put it bluntly, and so they become less likely to do things that will work, work for you, for your team, for your customers, even for themselves. But the old brains only put up this fight when they feel threatened, and that happens when the conditions they need to feel safe are not there. There's no way round this. As Dave Grossman says in his fascinating and chilling book On Killing, have you ever tried to have a discussion with an angry or frightened man? You can't do it you might as well try to argue with your dog. So, in the interest of performance, or even survival in some cases, we might as well learn what the human being needs at a basic level. It costs next to nothing to do this, at least compared with the cost of ignoring how the human being is built. There's a straightforward list of about ten things, depending on how you categorise them, that people need in order to work well, at work or at home. If it sounds odd to say you can change the number of these things by changing the way you describe them, that's because these things are not defined in words. They're emotional needs, meaning that they operate at the level of neuronal and hormonal systems in the old pre-verbal emotional areas of the brain. We go through the list of things that people need in the Leadership Toolkit podcasts. At this stage, you may well be objecting to the idea that people are at their most useful when they're calm, because you might like the idea that people should get excited about their work. Well, that's absolutely fine, but we have to distinguish between useful excitement and stress. In hormonal terms, the distinction is between dopamine, which gets people excited and ready for action, looking forward to doing things, and the cortisol, which accompanies worry and fear and closes down people's intelligence. There are some companies that run at a high energy level with staff genuinely excited about their work much of the time. But many more have high-stress environments, with arguments, silos, high sickness rates and unexplained long-term illnesses. It turns out that there is an optimum level of stimulus. If there's too little going on, people just get bored. As you crank up the pressure, they get interested, engaged or even excited about work, provided the other conditions are right. But if you go too far, or try to keep it going too long, they get fatigued, and they either give up or get angry and oppositional. The productive zone is in between, and this is where sustainable performance and stable team structures are found. We humans are a social species, and the basic unit of human life is not the individual, but the group. People go mad on their own. A functioning group can do anything, but most groups are hamstrung by something or other communication failures, inadequate resources, inappropriate expectations, pointless hierarchy, and so on and so on and so on. The usual result is that the group splits into smaller groups that do work, but they usually work for their own ends, creating friction and minor competitions that don't generate any value for the end customer. Now, people try all sorts of things to counteract this, days at the climbing wall, trust fall exercises, bread-making classes, yoga, pool tables, and so on. These may generate some goodwill with some of the team, but it's likely to be localised and temporary unless the other conditions for a natural, functioning team to emerge are already in place, in which case you won't need them anyway. Away days can be fun, but they usually have little or no effect on performance at work, and they can even turn out to make a team less cohesive. The odd thing is we humans form groups naturally in the right conditions, automatically joining together to do things that meet our needs, sharing the leadership according to who has the skills needed in that moment. We can't help it. We actually need to get together with others and solve problems. That's why we play games together at weekends, and that's how we've progressed so much over the last 10,000 years. If you ask the right questions, and are diligent about following up on the answers, you can get the conditions right so that teams unify and work together, just as they do in their leisure hours. Then productivity and quality will increase, and your life as a leader will become easier. Sometimes you can see why people are not working properly at work, but not always. And even people who look happy enough might be running well below their optimum level of performance. The trouble is, how do you know who is in this position, what's caused it and what can be done to help? It is the old problem of the unknown unknowns. But how do you know if you have any of those? Isn't that an unknown too? Well, not really. We've surveyed a lot of people in many different sectors And I can tell you that unless you're completely sure that every single member of your staff is happy, energized, engaged, loyal, team-spirited and operating at 100% of their potential capacity all the time, it is a certainty that there are things going on that you don't know about. And every one of those unknown unknowns is an opportunity for the business and the people who constitute it. So, what would a sustainable, high-satisfaction, high-performance workplace look like? As I said before, we're dealing with human feelings here, and they don't map one-to-one onto words, but here's our formulation of an ideal set of working conditions. First of all, everyone would have a crystal clear cognitive connection with their work, the company's aims, the customer's need for the products, and the roles and understanding of their teammates. Everyone would have a full suite of knowledge, skills and other resources needed to do their role as part of the team so that there was no anticipatory anxiety about their work-related behaviour and that they would feel competent at the end of the day. Everyone would be in a functional, social and emotional context where they feel a secure connection with the company and the group and were okay about their place in it so that they actually wanted to come into work. Given those three things, the pressure to succeed would be generated from the inside because the staff would recognise that the work meets their needs as human beings and gives them opportunities to do what they naturally want to do, getting into groups, doing things that are interesting, useful, satisfying, and so on. Fixing the workplace so that it becomes the place that people want actually to be in during the daytime has some predictable and highly desirable effects. As we know, people's behaviour changes as they get wound up and reason is replaced by something older, the results can be unpredictable. Some people withdraw, others become aggressive. Some talk less, others talk more. Some become very focused on the task in hand, even if it isn't working, while others go round in circles. But there are also some general results from increased stress. Most people become more selfish. Now, that's not a criticism. It's just a reflection of the way we're wired And any behaviour that is stress-related, like going out for a smoke, is likely to increase, so you could expect a happier staff to take fewer smoking breaks and to find it easier to get off nicotine altogether. Smokers or not, they'll take fewer days off sick and spend less time sabotaging your attempts to manage them. And phenomena like Massive Monday, when half the workforce looks for a better job, will become less of a problem. The staff you really need, the most capable ones, will be much less likely to jump ship and find another job because they'll like being with you. Assuming you're with us so far, and you like the idea that human beings' innate desire to perform can be realised at work, we need to move on to how to make this happen. But here's the thing. Everyone in the hot seat wants improved individual and team performance. But it isn't easy to get a grip on the underlying problems. They aren't usually visible, and we don't normally have the language to understand them. So, employees often get the blame for problems that are actually caused by something else, problems which could be fixed if their roots were understood. Managers are also in a catch-22, the problems in the workplace keep them busy so they don't have time to hold all the conversations they need to be properly aware of the undercurrents causing the problems in the first place. But if they had a tool that picked up on the warning signs, the unseen causes of upset and inefficiency, and turned these into a plan for improvement, a plan that the employees concerned would sense was a good idea because it met their needs as human beings, managers' lives would be quite different and all the energy currently lost in sorting out unfathomable difficulties could be used in real leadership activity. This is where you need some new information, because improvement almost always starts with information. Change often starts without it, but that's another story. You can't teach people something new or improve the framework they're working in without knowing what's wrong, what's upsetting them, what's missing, what they don't know or understand, and so on. You really need to cover the whole spectrum of possibilities at the cognitive, behavioural and emotional levels to be certain you've done all you can to help people work better. And you have to do it without winding people up with endless questionnaires, exercises or psychometric tests. An ideal tool would get you all the information you need, including the unknown unknowns, to cut out the unwanted chimp or lizard attacks and set your people free to focus, collaborate and get things done. As I said before, you can just grab the free trial from wethrive.net. It'll show you where you should be looking for the causes of the problems in a team. If you use this information right, your team will want to work well. They won't need carrots because they'll have intrinsic motivation or innate motivation. This is the very best kind because it comes from inside. No one has to push, bribe or blackmail the team to perform. They just get on and do it. Organisations that haven't worked out how to make work innately motivating often have to apply external motivation to staff, carrots and sticks in other words. As our old friend Daniel Pink says, carrots and sticks can promote bad behaviour, create addiction and encourage short-term thinking at the expense of the long view. The other problem is that they're an attempt to compensate for an underlying problem instead of fixing it, so they don't last. In the end the team get used to them and the original problem still hasn't gone away, so the effect fades but you're still paying for all the carrots. But intrinsic motivation makes tasks seem effortless. Time flies by and people feel good. Can that really happen at work? Well, it can, if the conditions are right. If you were building a tool to make managing this easy, this is what we'd suggest. You'd need something that looks all around the working lives of your people, detecting the things that can impact on performance and freeing you to crank up the satisfaction. You'd want it to be a clever psychological survey, which looks around all the vital domains of the team's working lives to find scope for improvement without taking a huge amount of time, and then presents the results to line managers so that they can collaborate with the staff, asking the right questions and supporting them in all the areas that matter. This is what We Thrive does. It's not a test of your employees, and no one has anything to fear from using it. It's a way for you jointly to find out how to improve working life and free up capacity. It's simple to use. You just pop in the emails of the team and hit the button. When all the results are in, it gives managers a dashboard of graphics showing who needs what to work better, and it gives them a schedule of issues to work on with each person. When you've taken the free trial at WeThrive.net, You might like a set of proven tools to help your managers with the staff interactions that follow, and we can help you there too. When you've set up the free trial, download the Leadership Toolkit podcasts from wethrive.net and share them around your line managers before the staff one-to-ones begin. Please let us know how you've used them. This podcast came from We Thrive, the key to a happy, motivated and engaged team. Find out more at wethrive.net.